Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Good morning. Please turn to Psalm 30. We're in our last week of a 10-week series on Psalms, Psalm 21 to 30. This is what we do every summer. As uh, Jody mentioned earlier when we were singing, um, the band, the musicians have um, been doing the work of putting the Psalms to modern music that we can sing together and benefit from. And we've just heard Psalm 30 sung to us, and uh, now let me read it to you. Psalm 30. A psalm, a song at the dedication of the house, a psalm of David. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Now as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. O Lord, by your favor you have made my mountain to stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness, that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. This is the word of the Lord. So this is the last psalm of the summer, and I want to just remind us again how wonderful it is that we get to have the book of Psalms, and that we are able to focus on one a week for 10 weeks. What a blessing this is. These are things um, that we would never say. (laughs) These are things that we would never think These are things that we would never pray. And so God gives these things to us to put the words in our mouth. Here, here's how you're to pray. Here's how you're to sing. Here's how you are to think. Here's how you are to feel. And if you live your life as a Christian and kind of divorced from the Psalms, you will be flat, you will be stale, you will be cold, You'll be dead. God has given us the Psalms. Use them. Read them, pray them, meditate on them, sing them. Don't stop because next week we're doing something different. All right? Keep on going. Soak yourself in the Psalms. I've said that before, I'll say it again. And here we have a Psalm that reminds me of the fact that we here in America are just flat. We are flat. 
neither very excited nor very discouraged. No mourning, certainly no dancing. Except for you. You're allowed to dance. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's flat. And somehow we've turned that into a virtue. And so that's why I say these, these words aren't what we would normally say. They're not what we would normally feel. And that's bad. We need to feel these things, both highs and lows, depths and heights. This is what's normal. And so how does it begin? I will extol you. Well, go to the top, to the, to the little dedication thing, the, the title there. It says a psalm, a song at the dedication of the house, a psalm of David. Now, that can mean one of two things, all right? Uh, some people think it means David's house. So this is a psalm that David wrote when he built his house. Remember how David built his house? You know the story in the Old Testament? He built a really nice house, okay? Nicer than anybody's house. And, uh, and he built this house, and it's only right, he's the king, kings live in palaces, he built a palace and he lived in this house, and it's right to dedicate your house, to say I'm gonna use this house for good, I'm gonna do good things in this house, we're gonna seek the Lord in this house, we're gonna, you know, this is a house to be dedicated to God's service and all of that. But I don't think that's what this is talking about. Some people think it is, others point out the fact that the Hebrew of that title doesn't really work that well, to be David's house. It's a song at the dedication of the house. It's a psalm of David, David wrote it, but it's not David's house. So what house is he talking about? God's house, the temple, remember? After David finished his house, he, he said, wait a minute, it's not right that the king, that I, should live in a house of cedar, a nice house, and that God, meaning the the ark of God, not God himself, but the ark of God, the ark of the covenant, lives in a tent. That can't be right. And so he purposes, I'm gonna build a house for God. And God comes to him and says what? Oh, no, you're not. What he actually says to him, God says to David is, no, I'm gonna build a house for you. It's very interesting. And the house that he builds for him is not of stone or cedar, it's the house of David, it's the lineage, it's, the, it's Jesus, it's the Messiah, it's the church. But David never builds the house. David uh, stockpiles stuff and he collects stuff and stone and cedar and gold and all this stuff and he piles it up and he waits. And he knows that God said he's not gonna build the house, his son Solomon is gonna build the house, the temple. All right, you remember the story? So why, what's with this? A song at the dedication of the house. But wait a minute, the house hasn't been built yet. What's going on? Stockpiling a song. Here's the cedar, here's the song. Yeah. And he does it in what? In faith. God said he would build this house. God said my son would build the house. God doesn't lie. God makes promises, he keeps them. This is what he's doing. I might as well write a song about it even though it hasn't happened. Even though the first stone hasn't even been laid, it's as good as done, right? That's the way it is with God. It's the way it is with his promises. You can bank on them. You can be sure. He said he would do it, he'll do it. 
He's faithful to keep his word. Think about this with you. What does he promise to do with you? He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. It's not done yet. It's not done yet. I know. Believe me, I know. (laughs) It's not done yet. But it will be. Why would you think it won't be? If God said it would be, why wouldn't it be? It will be. He promised that he would do it. Believe it. You might as well sing now as if it was already done. You might as well pray now. You're right. You might as well believe it. He said he would do it. He said he would work in you. He said he would make you like Christ. And so believe it. Act now as if that has already happened. It's already begun. You might as well believe it. All of his promises, all the things he said he would do, he will do. Not one of his words will fall to the ground. And so David says, I will, I will extol you. Now that's not a word you use often, is it? Some of you maybe. You know, so and so, you know, extolled the virtues of such and such, right? What does extol mean? Extol means you go on and on and on about something. You, you, you lift it up. That's l- literally what it means. You, you go on and on with this kind of gush of praise, right? And David says, I will extol you, O Lord. Uh, what do you extol? What do you go on and on about? There are a lot of people who are very quiet, right? Very quiet, kind of reserved, introverts, whatever. And I've heard it said of many of them, many of you, oh yeah, but if you get him in, if you get him a room and ask him about that, you know, he'll go on and on and on and on about it, right? He'll go on and on and on about it. What's going on? What do you go on and on and on about? What do you extol? What do you lift up? What do you praise? David said, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up. I was reading a a comment, somebody put up something online the other day, this week, um, where they were talking about modern worship music and what they're saying was, you know, how come we don't have any songs that uh, are just about God? Why are, why are so many of our songs have I in them and me and, 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 you know, talk about the things that God does for me and we need to get back to the good old songs that have none of that in them. All they are is just about God. That sounds very holy, doesn't it? but it's not. What I said in a comment to that guy is, yeah, but uh, you know, what about the Psalms? <laughs> what about the Psalms? How many times did the Psalms say I and me and us? First person, personal pronouns, right? Some, how, how is it that it's more holy to sing just about God as if he was a magnificent crystal chandelier hanging in the heavens. He's not a magnificent crystal chandelier. He's a person. And he does things. And we know him by what he does. And so David says, I will extol you, O Lord. Why? 
for you have lifted me up. Is there something wrong with talking about what God has done for me and, and doing that in worship? Nothing wrong with it. It's all over the Bible. It's all over the Psalms. Don't try to be more crusty than God. God, God isn't crusty. And David's not crusty. And so I, if you think I, I want to sing songs of pure crystalline, you know, speculation about God, well, that tells me you don't know God. You just don't know God because that's not what God is like. He's a person who's in relationship with you and he does things. And so praise him. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. So this is very personal. It's I and you, God, and my enemies, right? Three people in here. Me, David, you, God, and my enemies. This is very personal. This is not abstract, this is not theoretical, this is not academic. What's coming out of his mouth is very personal. I will extol you, I will go on and on and on about you, for you've lifted me up and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. Do you know what that's like? Do you have any, do you have a grid for that? Personal, I, you, my enemies. Verse two, oh Lord my God, I cried to you for help. When's the last time you cried to God for anything? I mean cried to God. Cried to God for help. I cried to you for help. And what? You healed me. That's the kind of God he is. Oh Lord, you've brought up my soul from Sheol. Sheol is the grave, the pit. You've, you've brought up my soul from Sheol. You've kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. Look at, all, look at what you've done for me. He's extolling the Lord. He's talking about, he's going on and on about what God has done for him. We know God by what he's done for us. What has he done for us? He's heard us, he's lifted us up, he's healed us, he's saved our soul from death. That's the kind of God he is. He's the kind of God who does that kind of stuff. And he does it for people, for individual people. You can say, I, you Lord have done this for me, if it's true of you. He doesn't just do it for generic masses. He does it for individuals. What's the only good response to that? Verse four. David says, you know, praise, praise, is, a, praise is a dish best served in a crowd, right? And so he's not content just to have his own little personal private thing here. Verse four, sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones. Come on, join with me, sing with me. And give thanks to his holy name. All of you, sing together. Let's, let's praise the Lord together. Why? Verse five, for his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Now think about this. His anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. 
Now think about how you think about that. Be self-aware about how you think about this. Uh, I think many of us think, no, it's actually the opposite. What, what we really have, the baseline, the baseline, you know, the, the steady state of God is anger. His anger is for a lifetime. His displeasure is for a lifetime. Sometimes he's nice. But his, his, the steady state of God is anger, is, is, is displeasure. Disfavor. And sometimes he's nice. That's not true. What the reality is, here's the reality. Steady state, favor. Favor, grace, blessing, kindness, tenderheartedness, compassion. That's what God expresses. That's what God is. That's what he feels. That's what he has towards his children. Right? And when he's angry, he's angry for a moment. So what does that tell us? Well, God's angry. God is angry. God is angry with his children. Are you ever angry with your children? Dads, moms? Now that can be bad, can't it? That's not God's anger. God's anger is good, but it's not bad for you to be angry. You know what this is like. God is, in fact, angry with his children. But what kind of anger is it? It's the kind of anger that lasts for a moment. It's the kind of anger that comes out of the steady state of favor. That's what Hebrews 10, or 12, right? Hebrews 12 tells us about discipline. When do, when do, you, need, when, when do you need discipline? When do your children need discipline? It's when they've sinned, they've disobeyed. We need discipline when we've sinned and disobeyed. And God responds to that with discipline, right? You could say he's angry, he's displeased. He's gonna discipline me. Um, But why? Why? Where does that discipline come from? What does Hebrews 12 tell us? Tells us that the Lord disciplines those whom he what? Loves and scourges, right? That's the word. You know what a scourge is, right? It's not a little, not the little paddles we use today, right? (laughs) You know, a scourge is a whip. He scourges every son whom he receives. That's That's what God does. And so even when his anger is there, why, why is it there? It's because he loves you. Because his favor lasts for a lifetime, right? So he disciplines you because he loves you. It's not easy, it's not fun, but it's for a point. The point is to make you share in his holiness, that's what Hebrews 12 says. But his favor lasts a lifetime. Right, the steady state, the constant, the one thing you know for sure, his loving kindness is what? Everlasting. And so David says, his anger is but for a moment. His anger is real. He disciplines me, it hurts. But it's for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Now, 
That's true, as I said, of people who know the Lord. That's true of people who have God as their father. That is not true of you if you don't know the Lord and you don't have God as your father. For you, it's actually the exact opposite, right? The steady state for you, if you reject God and are a rebel against him, have not bowed your knee to him, you don't submit yourself to him, you've not believed the gospel of Christ, you love your sin and you hate Jesus, all right? The steady state for you is his anger is for a lifetime and more, more than just a lifetime. And you might experience uh, good things. So his favor is but for a moment, but his anger is for a lifetime. That's, that's what it means to not be a child of God. Do you understand? Because Jesus says in John 3.36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God has, has pitched its tent. More than pitched its tent, it's set down its foundations, it's built a house on top of you, and it'll abide on you. It'll, it'll dwell with you forever. Not the mercy of God, but the wrath of God. And so you might have nice things, the nice things are the blip. For the Christian, his anger is a blip for the for the one who's rejected God, the nice things are a blip. He sends his rain on the just and the unjust. He gives you children. He gives you health. He gives you food to eat and sunsets to look at and, and you know, nice things. Maybe even good, genuine relationships. But that's just a blip. That's all gonna go. It's all gonna go. And he gives you those things to call you to repentance. And the fact that you haven't repented in the face of those good things makes it even worse. And you need to turn to him. And then you can say this, for his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Then he says, weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. You know, as, as sure as morning is, by, and morning meaning daytime. That's a weird thing about this psalm, right? Morning and morning, right? Morning meaning sadness, weeping. Morning meaning daytime, right? So what happens every day? Well, lo and behold, morning. And that's a, that's a sure and certain thing. God has established it. It's a decree he's made. It'll never go away. He's promised it. It's his covenant with the earth, right? As long as time endures, this is what's gonna happen. Morning, evening, morning, evening, winter, summer, winter, summer. It's a certain thing. Just as certain as the morning comes after every night, what? Gladness will come for God's people. Weeping may endure for the night. Yeah, 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 there's weeping but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Are, which, is it daytime or nighttime for you? If it's nighttime, morning's coming. 
shout of joy. Look at these extremes. I mean, what was David, a bipolar wacko? Weeping, shouting of joy, weeping, shouting of joy. Yeah, we're flat, right? Not David. Now verse six. Now as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh, that can't be good. What is he saying? Hey, look, God's been really good to me. You know, one to five. Oh, look at how wonderful my life is. He lifted me up. He healed me. He rescued me from all my enemies so that they wouldn't rejoice over me. He turned my, you know, by the weeping into, into shouts of joy. <sighs> Life is really good. You know, I use my phone, you know, to get places. You all do that in GPS. And you type in the address and you let it read to you and tell you where to go. And when you get there, what does it say? You've arrived. I love it when it tells me that. Just so glad to hear that. Finally. That's what David is saying here. God heard his prayers. He was in trouble. God rescued him. God blessed him. God did wonderful things for them. And then he thinks, ah, look, look at, look at my life. My life is easy. My life is good. And then what does he think? Look what I've done. My life is easy. My life is good. That must mean I'm good. And it'll always be this way. I will never be moved. This is, this is the, you know, this is, this is the way it is gonna be from here on out because I'm so good. But uh-oh. What does the Bible say? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. God warned his people in the Old Testament when they were going into the land of Canaan, the promised land, he said, you're gonna get in there and I'm gonna bless you. And you're gonna have lots of houses and lots of trees and lots of you know, sheep and lots of food and it's all gonna be great and I'm gonna rescue you from your enemies. And then what's gonna happen? You're gonna think, what? Look what I've done. I want you to think about your life. Anything good in your life is a gift of God. You have your act together because you're disciplined? Well, where does that come from? You have have a good relationship with your wife? Where does that come from? Is that natural? (laughs) That, That ain't natural. You have good kids? At least everyone thinks you do, right? And then you begin to think, and then so then you work hard, and then, you know, that kind of starts to add up, doesn't it? 
you got a nice house and you got a good job and people respect you because you're respectable. And then what do you begin to think? Look what I've done. Steady as she goes. Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But then he starts talking sense to himself and, and, and dealing with reality. Look at verse seven. O Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain to stand strong. I said, ah, this is, I've arrived. And you could feel the pride in there. And then he says, but wait a minute, by your favor. What is favor? Grace, right? Grace is unmerited favor, we say. And so he's talking about grace. He says, wait a minute, I didn't do this. I didn't make myself this wonderful life. By your favor, Lord, you have made my mountain to stand strong. This is all a gift. I I don't deserve this. And then you see the discipline of God. Verse seven, second part. You hid your face and I was dismayed. You start thinking that, right, I've arrived, and, 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 and God, you might have a dim memory somehow that God is the one who lifted you out of the pit, but you know, it's my hard work. You start thinking like that, you start thinking you've arrived, God is going to discipline you. He's going to discipline you. And the chief discipline, the discipline that David is dismayed about is what? He took away my house? No. Took away the car? No. Took away the kids? No. Took away the wife? No. He might do those things. But what is it here? You turned your face away from me. You turned away your face. You hid your face from me. You see that? Is your life such that if God turned away his face from you, you wouldn't notice? If he withdrew his, what? His intimacy, his, uh, his fellowship, his presence. David says, you turned your face away from me and I was dismayed. This is the end of the world. I might as well be dead. Would we even notice? All the stuff, all the life, all the happiness, all the money, all the whatever, all the ease means nothing without the the smile of God. And if you don't have any of that stuff, and you have the smile of God, right? What do you have? Peace, joy? You hid your face from me and I was dismayed. So scripture says this. Do you find yourself in the place where you are, you've exalted yourself? Here's James chapter six, or James chapter four. 
Verse six, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. This is the opposite of what the psalm says, isn't it? God turned my gloom into laughter. But he says, you get your, into this place where you're proud and you've exalted yourself and you think everything is because of you. There's only one remedy for that. Because God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. What you need to do is turn your mourning, your joy into gloom. Your laughter into mourning. But then it says this, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. That's what David did. And so he says in verse eight, to you, O Lord, I called. You hid your face from me, I was proud. You, you hid your face from me, I was dismayed, but then I called to you. And to the Lord I made supplication. What prof- this is what he says to God. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? And what is he saying? God, don't you, want, don't you want me to praise you? Don't you want me to honor you? What use am I if I'm not able to honor you? If I'm not able to praise you? And this is, this, we have to learn this. This is how we need to pray. God has chosen freely, out of his own mercy, to bind up together his honor and our good his honor and our salvation, his glory, his fame, and our well-being, okay? He's He's bound those things together. And so you hear all through the Bible people praying like this, Lord, you can't kill me because if you kill me, your enemies will think that you're bad or weak. You can't do that. You can't let your enemies think that about you, so you have to save me. I mean, it sounds crass. I don't know, but it's not. Because God has chosen to bind those things together. You're his, you're his child. Pray like that. Pray like that. Lord, what? Will the dust praise you? So you can't kill me because I'm gonna praise you. Verse 10, hear, O Lord, be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. That little verse right there is the perfect little prayer for you to have in your mind almost all the time, right? O Lord, hear, O Lord, be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. And then verse 11, what happens? How does God respond to that kind of humility? What is said in James? Humble yourself before the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. And so verse 11, you have turned from me my mourning, my sadness, my crying, my weeping, my despair, my dismay. You have turned from me my mourning into dancing. 
I'm not a dancer. My wife will tell you. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth. You know what sackcloth is, right? You kids know what sackcloth is? It's burlap. It's the kind of thing you don't want to wear. But in these ancient times, they would wear it. They would make clothes and put it on next to their skin. Burlap, scratchy, sackcloth to remind them of their humility, to, to humiliate them, to remind them of their sin, to remind them of their sadness. He says, you took off my sackcloth and instead put on what? Gladness. Gladness is softer than sackcloth. Why? You've loosed my sackcloth, girded me with gladness, that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. You see, he has girded me, he loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness, not so I can do the whole stupid cycle again and think, oh, look how great I am. Look how great, my life is easy. This silky gladness feels pretty good. I must have done that myself. No, he has loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. You did this. You're the one who has been merciful to me. Don't, don't fall back into the cycle again. This cycle uh, is all over the Bible, right? And it happens with individuals. It happens with nations. It happens with the cosmos, you could say, if you want to get cosmic about it. God pours out blessings. God is kind. God is merciful. We get proud. Right? We don't acknowledge God. We don't give him thanks. Give him honor as God. We became futile in our speculations. Our foolish heart is darkened. Professing to be wise, we become fools. Right? Judgment. And then what? Well, God's people call out to God, help me, save me. I'm stupid, forgive me. Why? I'm, you know, deliverance. You see it in the book of Judges, right? It goes on and on and on, the nation of Israel. It's what the world has done. It's what our nation is doing. God is good to us. He gives us everything we need. He sustains us. He lifts us up. We have a history of honoring God. And then we become proud. America was built on the Puritan work ethic. You know this from his history class, right? Who were the Puritans? The Puritans honored God. And they worked hard and they, you know, trusted in him. And then their children thought, hey, we're pretty great. Look how rich we are. And then God brings judgment. And here we are. And the only hope for us is to call out to him. Humble yourself before the presence of God and he will exalt you. And then keep praising him. So if you are here and you're, a, you're an unbeliever, as I said, what you have abiding on you is judgment, wrath. Not favor, but wrath. 
Humble yourself beneath the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you. It's your only hope. Let's pray.